I'm Will. And I'm Luke. And this is Will and Luke Discuss. A vodcast. And podcast. Where we discuss content related to psychology, personal growth, self-development, and well-being. This This episode, episode, we're discussing Sam Harris waking up. And uh, on front it says, searching for spirituality without religion. So Sam Harris has written a a number of different books. He's a a neuroscientist um, from America. And um, he he also runs an app called Waking Up as well, which is a meditation app, which is really great. Um, and I use it daily, and I've been using it daily for probably the past six months. And yeah, it's great. It has lots lots of ongoing lessons, um, lots of Q and As, and interviews with other spiritual teachers. But um, the main purpose of this book is his angle on, I suppose, meditation and the nature of consciousness. Yours got a different Mine says, a guide to spirituality without religion. Mine says, searching for spirituality without religion. Anyway. Ah, must be the <laughs> Australian edition. <laughs> That's it. That's it. <laughs> Simplified. They don't like yeah. guides over there. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So, um, yeah, what, what's um, talk to me about how you first came across this book. I'd be really interested. And I'm also trying to remember whether you recommended it to me or not. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, well, I remember getting into like Sam Harris, not, not through meditation or anything, but through like atheism back when I was like into Richard Dawkins and that. And I was about 18 mm. or 19. So there was like, they call them the four horsemen. You've got Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, Daniel Dennett, and Christopher Hitchens. All these uh, guys that brought out books based around atheism at the same time. Um, and I guess, yeah, I don't know. I, must have, I, I, I mustn't have known he was into meditation and stuff then. But maybe... Um, Maybe it was later on. He probably brought some. Um, it was probably podcasts I was listening to him on something when he and he might have been searching for some guided meditation and saw he was doing that. And then I read this book about two years ago, but I I remember at the time I was meaning to have read it for like a few years before. I just hadn't got around hmm. to it, so it's hard to pinpoint it. But um, yeah, I, I think it's like. I found him from two different angles. I had my, my atheism phase and uh, found him through that. And then I was going through my spiritual meditation phase and found him again. Yeah, it's interesting. I think, I think the book kind of rides this line of sort of being a, um, like, yeah, a guide to meditation and the nature of consciousness and his understanding of it in a way that we can think about it. But also in, into that as well as some, I suppose, quite um, atheistic themes and well i mean the subtitle is a guide to spirituality without religion (laughs) yeah yeah so it's um it does touch yeah touch on that a fair bit throughout the book and it's um i I think yeah i I guess it you you get a lot of his angle on religion throughout it but i guess uh yeah the bit i latched onto most was um his like the principal subject of the book that you know the feeling that we call i is, is just an illusion and it's an appearance in consciousness. So um, I guess to describe it a bit more, he says that the, the self that we think is, you know, behind our eyes looking out at the world is just another appearance in consciousness and that most of the um, suffering we have in our life is when we 
we identify with our thoughts and we don't see them as just simple appearances in consciousness. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, he, he really highlights, you know, the way we think about experiences like defines how, you know, how, how we think about them. So yeah, yeah, the way we feel about experiences is how we, we think about them. And by looking at the sense of set, the thing that we call the self, it can be eliminated as well, which I imagine we'll get onto later on. Yeah. 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 I think I might, um, start with like where he started in terms of like laying the foundation when I, yeah. I know this probably isn't but it is in the religious stuff because he kind of opens by talking about how uh, uh talking about the different religions and how there's a sort of modern even within the atheist kind of realm there's a sort of modern i guess they would see themselves as tolerant perspective that well all religions are sort of equal Mm. um and he's basically saying well they're not (laughs) but they all assert very different beliefs and doctrines and practices and that those like those beliefs and doctrines and practices can take you more or less towards truth or happiness so therefore they can sort of be ranked um yeah and and moral goodness as well we talked about the the moral landscape and uh he's been criticized openly for um you know going against like islam and attacking christianity and things you know comparing yeah. them on different on different levels of kind of um, i suppose destruction they can cause yeah it's um it's funny that he's sort of uh he's towing this line where like atheists probably don't really like him because <laughs> uh, or, or like the 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 typical atheist community where it's like um you know where he's gone off a bit woo woo they might perceive that way into like spirituality meditation like transcending mm. the ego and all that and and yeah. also this idea of um you know claiming that different religions can be ranked on their on their virtue and on their um pragmatic value yeah um, but then obviously none of the religious people like him either because <laughs> uh, um because he's sort of debunking all their beliefs so it's like there's not much of a pool left of people he can really sell to but i guess there is because he's very popular but like yeah it, it's funny how you can annoy two crowds that don't intertwine with one another yeah <laughs> i hadn't thought about that but he's um he's got a certain way of writing that's really enticing i don't know if you found that like i really enjoy the way he writes he's yeah. very um believable and convincing and he's got good humor as well yeah he's so specific and clear and but um but also not in a, like an academic you know where yeah. like a sentence yeah. can be five lines long and you you forget what the start of it by the time you get to it, the end of it it's yeah, very this is like, like a two- intellectual but clear and concise. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and he it's like a two hundred page book with an incredible amount of like profound ideas in there. Yeah, yeah. You know, whereas I, I've read like four hundred and fifty page books and felt like it was dragging. <laughs> you know, whereas this is just like every page is just full of full of goodness mm. and <laughs> lots of really interesting ideas. Um, so, how do um, you? Go, go, yeah, go on. On. I'm I'm, a, I'm on a flow. So. Uh, 
so basically he's saying that within this like rank order of religions or whatnot, there's, there's a, there's a baby in the bathwater in terms of the Eastern religions, um, mm. within Buddhist and Hindu, in Hindu traditions. And like, you know, if you wipe away all their beliefs about karma and the cosmos and the metaphysics, there's actually a, a, a spiritual practice within that. Um, and a truth about, your subjective nature, not necessarily about the universe, but about yeah. you and your psychology, which, um, which is actually wise and useful and helpful. And I guess his, the whole book is basically saying, I, I've plucked this <laughs> baby out the bathwater. We're, we're not getting yeah. rid of all of this because this is a, there's a nugget of gold in here, which yeah. we can um, latch onto. Hmm. And he, he's, um, yeah, he seems really passionate about it as well. Yeah. Like he, he, it seems like he's found something that works for him that's kind of really, um, I guess, just changed the way he entirely thinks about um, suffering and thoughts and the nature mm. of consciousness. And I can just tell you, he's really eager to share that with the world. And it, yeah. I guess it kind of come, it comes through in, in the meditation app. He's got a very clear idea of what he's trying to communicate as well. That, you know, the sense, like particularly around, you know, the nature of consciousness and the, the sense of self, but the sense that there's an eye sitting behind our eyes looking out at the world is an mm. illusion. He'd really, mm. like, that's his real key message, isn't it? Would, would you, um, I guess I, I gave a crack at explaining um, what his key principle of the book was. I feel mm. like I kind of reeled it out quite quickly at the beginning. I'd be interested to know whether you agreed with that or whether you could maybe simplify what I said. Um, um, in your version so i think the the practice he's um teaching and wanting people to use is is what's traditionally called vipassana and within that uh a two um sort of self-discoveries so for for passengers like um we might call it mindfulness um it's uh but there's there's a bit more to it than that but it's it's a type of meditation where you uh you don't use imagery you're not walking along a beach you're not um Mm -hmm. thinking about you know focusing on thoughts you're you're purposely looking at your experience of the here and now yeah and the first stage of that is basically what has been troped out a lot in the past few years. You know, you see posters for it everywhere. Um, they probably, you know, they do it in schools and hospitals or in the workplaces, which is just slowing down, like concentrating on your breath, noticing your experience. And let's say noticing your thoughts for what they are, which are thoughts. Mm-hmm. And like we talked about in the last podcast, they're not, necessarily true or real or threats they're just they're just bits of language and images in your mind transitory and um so that's the first part but that's what he would still call as dualistic so by dualistic i mean that there's still a bit of you watching that thing so there's like two parts of you so there's yeah, yeah. there's there's your thoughts and then there's your witness to your thoughts. Now a step beyond that 
which he's saying is maybe you could call it ego transcendence or um self-transcendence yeah the illusion of the self is that actually there's there's this ever-present feeling which we're so wrapped up in all the time we might not even realize it's there it's like a fish in water that doesn't know what water is we could call that the self or the ego but it's basically this feeling that you kind of live an inch or two behind your eyes in the center of your head Mm. and that there's a sense that it is it's so hard to put into words isn't it yeah you're like (laughs) maybe that you're you're the thinker of your thoughts yeah i think that's quite a key part of it like that you're there's someone sitting behind your eyes who's thinking the thoughts whereas what he's saying is like they just appear in the the single um the single consciousness as opposed to like you and just yeah the dualistic side of it you and yourself and that there's subject and object so if i'm you know looking at this glass it feels like there's me behind my eyes and then there's a glass out here in external reality Hmm. when actually if i'm to really purely look at my experience all i have is consciousness (laughs) like i just have this and it's content yeah this sense that um there just is and there's no ego transcendence would be like there's no distinction between object and subject Mm. like um for example if if you had a bit of tinnitus and you had some ringing in your ears um and you're also listening to the birds singing outside at the same time you might feel like you you would probably conceptualize well there's this noise that's mine and it's coming from within me and then there's this noise that's coming from out there but really like that's that's a thought that's us breaking it down if we were to just experience the pure experience there they're one and the same thing Hmm. something i found um useful in his explanation was um around the the idea of like psychological sorry psychological continuity yeah he says that um i guess going off the back of what you're saying around the dualistic you know that, that it's not like us and then um the, the world outside they're not two separate things um but basically that like it's useful for us to have psychological continuity because as a content of that consciousness is our memories of what it like what it's like to be us like our autobiographical autobiographical memories so like in our as an appearance in consciousness we we like have memories of what it was like to be a child and what it's like to have gone to work yesterday and mm. what it's like to remember who our, our partner is or what we have to do tomorrow. Like there's like, that is useful. And mm. I guess they're all kind of stored in what, you know, in your brain, mm. but it's not necessarily something that we need to pay absolute full, full attention to like there's some part of that that's automatic that is useful for us to know. So we don't kind of wake up and we we think we're somebody else. It's not about right. kind of totally. It's not about like yeah, totally detaching from your the memory of who you are and what's important to you. It's more that like recognizing that they are just trans. Like there's co- consciousness and its contents, and they're just transitory um, appearances throughout that. And 
he's saying by by seeing that you can take a step back and I suppose like re- relieve suffering stops you from attaching to your thoughts and thinking that you are the thinker of your thoughts. It gets a bit tied up. This is right on the precipice of my like the limit of my understanding. So I'm ho- I'm trying to explain it best I can. Yeah. Well, I think as well it's it's not just understanding. It's like we're trying to put words to um, like conceptless experience but obviously words are concepts yeah. so as soon as you start doing that you can start talking gibberish and i think that's like been talked yeah. about throughout time when Ona. um but i think so there's a useful distinction when, when you're talking about memories and it, there was yeah. a there was sort of a i don't know if it was a whole chapter or just a section on on the self and it was like well there's this, the self, yeah. there's this um You could say, you could have a definition of the self. It is like your identity. It's like, well, I grew up here. This, this is my family. This is my like ethnicity. This is my culture. This is the football yeah. team I support, whatever it is. And, and you, let's, but that's not what we're talking about in terms of transcending no. the self. Like that's, you could call that personhood, but he gave the example of, like imagine waking up with that like soap opera amnesia. We just don't remember any of that stuff. Mm. You don't remember your name, who your family are, where you're from, any of that. But there's this still this sense that you're an I. Um, there's a, still a feeling that you're a self and that you kind of live probably an inch behind your eyes. Um, mm. And that's the self he's talking about that can be uh, transcended. Yes, yeah, yeah, the self he's talking about isn't the same as yeah, self recognition yeah. or self awareness or as we said, like memory. And yeah. um, there's a bit I just want to touch on in the second chapter in the mystery of consciousness. He says that the reality of consciousness is that it is um, subjective to us, so it's experienced as what it is like to be us. Yeah, that's how, that's how he describes it. And I thought that was yeah it is hard to to verbalize this or find words for what he's describing i guess he's he's done a lot of the work in doing that yeah um, yeah it's um it's a tricky one and i don't think i'd ever heard it explained like this before so i'm giving in giving it a second read it's really um it, it was helpful in i suppose deepening my meditation practice to revisit this book and kind of go back to those concepts because yeah, it can be easy to forget. He talks about the um, the conscious, like he really emphasizes the point that consciousness is all we have. Like, even if <clears throat> he goes into the bit of the philosophy of theory of mind and, you know, people saying, well, um, who knows if any of this really exists, we could be a brain in a vat or... We could uh, be under the spell of an evil demon who's um, manipulating our experience just to make it feel like there are other people and there's a world around us, or we could be living in the matrix, any of these thought experiments. But you're saying, even if any of that were true, even if I was a brain in a vat in the matrix, like yeah. I'm, there's still something what it's like to be a brain in the vat in the matrix. Yeah. <laughs> like, e- even yeah. if this is all a computer simulation, 
I'm still experiencing something and like that's undeniable and that's consciousness and that's um that's all we have like that's happiness and joy and connection and our thoughts it's everything it's our sensations it's there's nothing else yeah you did that thought experiment anywhere you know imagine yeah broke it down like imagine you were sent to mars but your body was deconstructed and you were Re- rebuilt in Mars, but there'd still be an experience of what it's like to be you. Um, or a light, yeah, an experience of what it's like anyway. Um, I'm, I'm interested to know what you, what, what you think about the role of thinking within this in terms of making decisions. And um, we spoke about in last week in the happiness trap around yeah. paying attention to thoughts that are helpful, not necessarily judging them as good or bad or true or false, but paying attention to what's helpful. And I suppose with this in mind, that he's explaining that thoughts are transitory experiences, the the thought that you are an I is also a transitory experience, um, ap- sorry, appearance in consciousness. Like what role does thought play in making the most of our life because it's quite common for people to think that yeah your thoughts direct all of your behavior you're the one making the decisions behind your life and he says it can be quite confronting for some people to realize that they're not the person controlling their thoughts and therefore it leads to them not feeling like they're controlling their decisions in life Mm. wondering what your whether that's something you'd thought about in reading this book like if thoughts are just transitory experiences, then why bother paying attention to them? Or how do we decide which ones are useful to work on? I'm not sure I'm quite following you. So I, I can riff on what I think you might mean. And then if I've got Go the wrong it. end of it. So, so for m- most adults, most of the time, we're just we're just in thoughts almost all the time, like without really realizing it. And I think he, one definition he had of the ego was that it's that, that feeling of thinking without knowing you're thinking. So he's, he talks even about early stage meditators. Um, you know, you might say, Oh, well just, uh, set a timer for one minute and, and, um, try to focus on your breath without and and uh, see what thoughts come up and they might be like i yeah i focus on the breath for a minute no, no thoughts arose <laughs> and mm-hmm. it might take a few weeks before they actually realize oh no i'm thinking all the time and like just that's that, a huge first step yeah yeah like the yeah. biggest first step is to actually realize that you're lost in thought almost all the time yeah. um and so finding us a place in you and building a practice in which you can be aware of those actually gives you some sort of choice as to whether they're helpful or not. Um, without that awareness, you're just, you're, I almost see it as you're more, you have less autonomy. Like you're before, before mindfulness and before recognizing your thoughts for what they are, you're just at the whims of whatever arises in you. You're, vul- you're vulnerable, aren't you? Yeah. So, um, 
yeah, I, I think I experience more um, a higher level of I I don't know if autonomy is the right word, but like a higher level of um, I'm not just at the whims of my ego and the thoughts I'm having, the feelings. Spons- I'm having. Spontaneity, maybe you can. You've got a. You've got a. You, you've got more choice with what you want to do with those thoughts. Yeah, maybe. yeah. Rather than just feeling like you like you must live them out. Mm. And that's so that's what I you think. That's different to what you were saying, but that's what it triggered in me. Yeah. No. Okay. No. No. That, that was helpful. I think I. I think uh, that runs. I think. Um, uh, I guess it, that that links a bit to what he's said a bit about um, cognitive fusion. In Russ Harris said in cognitive fusion last yeah. week, you know, yeah, when, yeah. We're, when we're so attached to our thoughts that we think that our thoughts are true, we think that they're um, reliable, they're um, valuable to us. Like that—that's typical cognitive fusion. Like thinking without thinking, like so lost up in your lost in your thoughts that you've you're not able to kind of step back and make a choice. There's um there's a, a quote I wanted to read out that I I, I enjoyed. It was in the last yeah. um, chapter. Is um, embracing the contents of consciousness in any given moment is a powerful way of training yourself to respond differently to adversity. Yeah. And if we're uh, able to relax, accept things as they are, as we strive to change ourselves. That was quite, quite, a nice balance way of putting it. He said he's not denying that like thoughts are useful in solving problems and um, getting things done and achieving anything in life. He's just saying, you know, be able to like step back, see things clearly, and then um, using thoughts um, to make the changes necessary. And basically like changing your, your inner changing your state before making a decision, which is mm. kind of relates a lot to expansion. And yeah, yeah, yeah. The previous book. I think... What was I going to say? In both mindfulness, which is like just witnessing yourself and, and the ego transcendence where you're it's almost that non-dualistic recognition that object and subject is a, is a concept which you can overcome. Mm. I don't think either of those necessarily mean you don't think either. Mm. Um, it's just your, your sort of relationships to those thoughts uh, are different. You're not identified with them. Um, I think there's perhaps a misconception that to be mindful, you must be free of thought when actually you can be, you can be mindful of thoughts in the same way you can be mindful of a, a watching a candle or a bird flying past you or, um, but I think that's perhaps where you get coming from earlier. It's like when a bird flies past you, you're not identified with it. You don't feel like you created it. Whereas yeah. perhaps we do feel like we create our thoughts and actually I think I've heard, I don't know if this was from the book or not, but I've heard him say something like, um, okay, th- think of a film. Me right now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, chicken run. And so like, 
like to what degree like were you fr- free to make that choice like that you you're you're only free to make the what like to choose one of a number of films that might have ran through your head i don't know if that well, was the first you, yeah. one that came to mind or whether two or three came to mind and you picked that one mm. um but like but like you weren't free for example to say choose um the godfather 2 if it didn't come to your mind if it didn't yeah something you'd never heard of or had never crossed your or your even mind. if you have but it just in that moment if it didn't come to your consciousness you're not free to choose it mm. and i don't know well, if that's where you were getting to earlier when you were talking about like the lack of autonomy in your thoughts or yeah i think what i was more referring to is um yeah like that we basically we shouldn't negate our thoughts we shouldn't um ignore them this isn't about ignoring thoughts and just watching them just come and go without um finding any use in them right he's not right, yeah, right. he's not he's not denying that thoughts are useful or and it is sometimes useful to have a sense that um you know, as as i said have that like psychological continuity like those are useful mm-hmm. things but he's saying like this, well, I guess this is the way I saw it, that this yeah. is just a useful and really, I guess, deep viewpoint to have in life, that you can step back from those. And it, it's quite a relief to know that you're, you're not attached to your thoughts or that you're not necessarily constructing every decision you make, that mm. it, it can be a bit of a, a relief to have that in your life. I, um, something I... Um, Something I wanted to speak about, and he talks about this, is that this isn't necessarily a a state to be achieved. This state mm-hmm. of you know um, of consciousness, of just awareness, it's it's something that can be glimpsed in an ongoing manner. So he talks about um, you know you you can you can see this in the uh, the click of a finger and the blink of an eye, mm-hmm. and that's something I found was useful throughout. Um, from doing the meditations on his app that you get those little glimpses of what it's like to step back from that sense of um, sense of self and take it. it, it this isn't a, a continuous state to be in. It's something that you can kind of glimpse at various moments. Yeah. Of, yeah. And they're kind of these uh, legends of, of yogis or gurus who have reached persistent state of enlightenment. Or, but um mm. But yeah, like more realistically, you, you can just notice in, in a flash the um, sense of egolessness. Um, I feel like when I've, because I've spent a lot of time, probably since discovering acceptance commitment therapy, like we talked about last time, practicing mindfulness. Mm. But in terms of this dualistic mindfulness, like, I might like body scans, like, okay, so I'm sat on the cushion. I'm noticing the sensations in my toes and my heels at my legs. Um, noticing the sensation of my breath. I, I do like a full body thing. Then I might notice the sounds I can hear in my environment. Mm-hmm. Even with my eyes closed, I'll notice my visual field, like what's going on in the backs of my eyelids, that sort of thing. But this is, and which can be very um, good for you, apparently. Um, and very calming and relaxing and peaceful not to be lost in thought because when you're fully concentrated on sensation and you keep practicing that um skill of 
of getting lost in thought, noting your lost and coming back sensation. Apparently mm. that's, that's really good. I don't knock it. And it's, it's, um, and I still do it a lot and it, <laughs> and it's a lot easier than ego transcendence. Um, mm. but there's this like second level, right. Which is what this book's more talking about. Um, yeah. Which is the, the bit of you that feels like when I'm on the cushion concentrating on my big toe, the bit of me that feels like I'm up here <laughs> and my toes down there, like that's an illusion because there's nothing special about the sensation of my vision or, or, or thinking that my thoughts are in my head. That means that they mm. should be up and my toes should be down away from my ego. Yeah. <laughs> um, like that's just a, that's still an illusion I'm living in, even when I'm doing that mindfulness exercise. Um, so it's more recently that I've been practicing this more ego transcendent stuff. Like on his app, he's got a few. There's that one with mirrors, and I don't know if you've done any. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, I've done those. Yeah, yeah, the ones um, based on Douglas Harding's um, notion of, of having no head, of headlessness. Yeah. 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 Did, you, did you find that um, part of the book interesting? Uh, yeah that's probably one of my favorite bits yeah yeah um i'd love to know why yeah i found it initially very confusing and i didn't quite get it so i had to read that chapter a couple times and when i I first read it now 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 having sorry now having done um some of the exercises you know getting the ones where you're like you're pointing the finger back at yourself and yeah just getting this sense of headlessness that you're not just like looking out from behind your eyes it's a i guess it's an interesting he describes it as like a way of glimpsing that selflessness. Yeah. You know, tra- transcending the ego. And in my experience, it's something that is happened in very short, sharp glimpses, but it's a, it's a hell of a, like, I don't even know whether to call it a feeling or not, <laughs> but it's a, it's a very interesting sensation to feel um, like you have no head. But um, anyway, yeah. Um, what, why did you enjoy the chapter? I'd love to know. Um, it was, uh, I guess for want of a better word, eye opening, I guess with the building up to it, the, the like theory of mind stuff and the, um, consciousness and the subject objects, um, distinction, I guess it's, and there was like, he talks about split brain patients. Um, Mm. it's stuff I've come across before in sort of studying psychology, philosophy and stuff. Whereas this, this more, um, practical instruction into like by by this chapter this douglas harding headlessness stuff you're i can't remember which chapter it is but there's a certain amount of time where you're feeling like you're reading a book and then it gets to a point where it feels like you're having an experience like it's like every paragraph you're you're practicing what you're sort of talking about as you're reading it so it's like it's more it's it's not just reading by that point it's an experiential exercise mm. and so yeah there was a um can't remember it was some physicist wasn't it drew a self-portrait of themselves well, obviously self-portrait from their first person perspective mm. so it was just like <laughs> with with one eye closed nose. it was like yeah. the edge of their nose that yeah the ridge of their eye like the bottom half of their leg and trouser and then just you know their living room <laughs> it, was, mm. it was a self-portrait from the first person perspective and um i guess douglas harding took that and 
and used it as sort of a meditative tool to to look for your head from your perspective, which obviously you can't see <laughs> because mm. your eyes are in it. Um, but from your first person perspective, you have no head. Like you can you can have a hand if you stick it up there, but you can't glimpse your own head. Um, yeah, and in, in doing the yeah the finger pointing exercises and some of the mirror exercises, yeah, real interesting glimpses into that. I've um from my experience, I've in in the mornings when I meditate, I do I, just out of um just the way my room structured, I end up doing it in front of a mirror. So I find a lot of the time I'm I'm closed eyed um, my meditations. But I found after doing some of the um, some of the exercises. Um, in his meditations, you know, trying to look for what's looking and, you know, get that sense that, well, the sense of self is an illusion and I'm just consciousness and it's contents. Like in opening my eyes up again and looking at the mirror, looking back at myself, sometimes I can see myself very differently. Like mm. there's almost this kind of, I don't know how to describe it without sounding weird, but like it's, I'm looking at the mirror back of myself but i've got this it's sort of this kind of empty hollow feeling like i'm almost not looking back at me as a, a shape back in the mirror it's just kind of yeah i almost can't put words to it but yeah, i've I had the experience I, of yeah of meditating in the mirror and it like flicking between it, feeling like me and then looking like I'm looking at someone else. I don't know if that's at all related to what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, kind of um, similar to maybe like looking through a window and sometimes you can look back at it as a mirror, but sometimes you're looking out to the gut, like outside, like looking through glass. Um, I kind of get that sort of, yeah, flickering between the two. Sometimes I'm like, okay, that's me looking at me in the mirror. Other times I just kind of feel... Like, yeah, the mirror's looking back at me and I'm the reflection. Yeah, I don't know how to do it. These incredible hard things to put (laughs) words to, but basically it it makes, it it kind of cuts through my ego. That's the baseline of it, that I I don't feel like I'm the subject looking out at the world. I'm just, I, that even just the way we use language as well is particularly confusing, but I, I just am and it's not me constructing anything it's just is at the um so i can bring an experience which i've had in the last couple of minutes um yeah so i'm looking at a screen and i can see you well yeah like the projection of you and the projection of me yeah um and most of the time if i'm not really you know if i'm just in the flow or whatever i'm very identified with my image of of me When actually, from my first-person perspective, there's no reason why my image and your image should feel any differently. And like, mm. I, I can even right now, I'm sort of meditating on uh, experiencing that kind of headlessnessness, headlessness, mm. and there I, I'm getting glimpses of my image and your image having sort of equal value and flicking between that and then suddenly feeling identified with my image. Mm. He talks about that in the book, does it around um, when we, when we make, um, well, not necessarily about that, but when we make eye contact with strangers in the street, it can sometimes 
um, give us like a an acute awareness of who we are, like that self consciousness. Yeah. I, I yeah. found that interest, like that's. I, I I just found that something interesting. Even today, like glimpsing eye contact with people, you know that awkward. You look at them briefly, and they look away. Like he's encouraging you to kind of like hold the gaze a little bit longer. <laughs> like, and um, I found that as well as a glimpse into my headlessness. That like someone, it's almost like I'm putting myself in their in their shoes. I guess. Yeah. Like they're the one. Yeah, yeah, me, yeah. Like, t- it, t- it takes me out of myself by realizing that I'm not the one looking out yeah there's no one looking out it just is there's no one looking yeah it just is yeah i am just an illusion he has a walking meditation on the app and (laughs) 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 you'd hate to be behind me while i'm doing that um and there's like a state you can get in when when you sort of when you're walking with this meditation in mind where when you're like in your ego, it feels like it feels like you're moving through space, but like mm. when you get that glimpse, it, it, it doesn't, it just feels like stuff is rushing at you. You know, like you're in a car, you can have that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or when you're on a train and one train moves and you're not sure if it's yours and the, or the one next to you and you have that like, flash between feeling like you're moving and feeling like the other thing's moving. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like that. It's like you can, when you have that glimpse of selflessness, it suddenly feels like trees are coming at you rather than you're, you moving through them. And, mm. and if, if you get in that, I got in that place and someone was moving towards me and it feels like they could just come straight through you. <laughs> but obviously yeah. like, and it, it's not until a bit later, like, oh, I better get out of the way. Because, <laughs> like, yeah, like, they're obviously going to so hit, hit something. <laughs> it's actually, I, we, we've never really spoken about this at any um, any length, I know. And it's really, like, fascinating to hear what your experience mm. is with this. Because, mm. and I guess to preface, like, what just before we keep going, is, like, for everyone listening and to anyone who starts to experience this, like, this is a deeply, um, like, personal experience, really. And it's, it's that's why it's so hard to describe what's going on. So it's, I, I'm loving hearing your experience of it because I've mm. had moments where I'm, I have done a couple of the walking ones, but not the slow one. I did the other <laughs> one. Um, you can, you and, can do it fast. You don't need to do it slow. <laughs> yeah. But um, I, I guess moments where I've glimpsed that selflessness, I feel a real, for me, it's like the, the edges of my body, like my skin isn't where, my body stops mm. almost. It feels like I'm this kind of expanding, how to describe it? It's this expanding space, just very light, very, um, very open, very spacious. And I kind of stop feeling like the, the weight of my body almost. That it's not like I'm not kind of like pushing down on the ground or like gravity's not, you know pushing me to the floor or something like that. My feet are rooted to the ground. It's kind of, everything becomes very light and very, it can start to feel a bit spacey, what I yeah. typically describe as that. Um, and that, that's particularly interesting. And then especially if you're out in nature and there's kind of, I don't know, maybe leaves um, blowing around on trees or there's wind going across the grass or people coming past you, it can, 
yeah, can start to feel like you're not separate from those things. Yeah, yeah. Which every time up until reading this book and practicing meditation, I thought it just sounded like woo-woo. But then I guess in doing it, it's, yeah, it's really nice, I think. It's, it's quite a relief. It's, uh, yeah. It, you, you're not thinking about like what's happening tomorrow or your worries or even if that thought does come up again in that moment, it's something you can step a bit further away from. I don't attach to, you know, my worry about what's happening at work tomorrow or something. I just kind of just see it as just something that's just passing through me and coming out the other side. There's also a, um, a sensation of distance, which can disappear. So like if you, meditate with eyes open on an object like i was doing it the other day on a plant in my garden which you know metaphysically was about 10 feet away but Mm. but uh experientially with enough sort of you get to a point where it's almost like a more a flatter experience of the visual field because your mm. like distance sort of uh, starts to the, your concept of distance which you, i guess you must learn as an infant you know mm. where you've got two eyes and it sort of it can work out that this is closer to me than this that the you know this microphone mm. is closer to me than the computer and that but um through sort of meditating on it you it feels like everything's sort of a almost more 2d <laughs> uh, similar mm. Um, and there's, there's, there is no gap between you and stuff. It's just one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I identify with that. I had it the other day as well when I was, uh, we got this basketball, um, backing, which is like this, um, sort of checkered gate. So Mm -hmm. it's like this metal railing, which, uh, you can see through but I was like doing stretches on it. So the rating was like right here. And then I could see like houses in the distance behind it. And suddenly it sort of all came as one and I lost the distance of either of them. Mm. Something happened to me recently was um, I went a walk down by this lake. Uh, no, sorry, by this river near me. And um, there's these, on the other side of the river, there was this big like mud bank. So it's almost like a cliff the other side of the um the water and there was trees growing out of it and they were all kind of like when you look at it it seemed very to me it seemed very flat and very um maybe i have the opposite experience to you it seemed very flat and two-dimensional but like when i looked at it the trees growing out of it suddenly became a lot more um just became a lot more vivid i was able just to kind of the detail of it and the the variety of the leaves and the the twigs coming out of the mud all started to kind of become a lot more vivid mm. and a lot more, um, trying to describe it, like became, became a lot more alive. I felt like very connected to it, even though it was just kind of like a bank of trees growing mm. out of the side of that. Yeah. And I went down there with a friend, a couple of, um, actually this was a week I went down there like with a friend and I said, man, I, I sometimes sit here and just stare at this, like this cliff with all these like trees and things growing out of it. And he's like, I never noticed that. Like he hadn't, <laughs> yeah, he hadn't yeah. seen it like that before. But then when I got him to look at it and slow down, he was able to identify. Yeah. It. Anyway, yeah, I, I don't know if that's a an entirely relevant example, but I think it, in particularly around the not 
um, seeing seeing things as separate from yourself. I felt very kind of connected and very close yeah. to what I was looking at by paying particular attention to it. Yeah, yeah. I'll be. I'll um, um, oh, go, Nana. Please. I remember before kind of digging into this, I was in this um, meditation group, and this teacher got us to do this exercise where she has this like. Uh, like hold a triangle in front of us like this and then look at the triangle and then slowly peel your hands away but maintain equal vision on both hands mm. um but as far as you can go like right to the edge of your visual field so now you're looking at sort of right on the cusp equally mm. and i found that quite sort of relaxing at the time and enjoyed it but i think um in hindsight i can see why that was an exercise because when when you like look for your own head <laughs> you're you're not when you look for your subject suddenly everything outside of that has equal value because usually your ego is sort of focused on something specifically like it might be the screen for me right now or it might be a book i'm looking at or the plate of food i'm eating from like there's always something which um you're drawn to yeah, that Freud would yeah. say you're you're cathected to that like your attention is zoomed in on something and everything else sort of fades beyond that. Mm. Whereas when you're looking for yourself, everything outside of that suddenly has equal value and your vision sort of softens and everything right from the top of your vision to the bottom to the sides are just as um relevant as what's in the center. Is equal to it, yeah. I'm interested to know what your experience of the the waking up app has been like. What what bits do you enjoy? What what have you have you had any um, particular experiences due to that app? Um, do you like certain meditations more than other ones? Um, yeah, what, what do you reckon? Any of those? Yeah, so um, I mean, I did the first like fifty session, fifty day course, and then yeah, kind of just carried on doing. Um, his daily meditations and and now I sort of flip between just doing meditating without guidance on my own with a timer or something and then occasionally dipping into it mm. i think my my um so yeah i really like the the course in terms of yeah for that guidance to slow down to to get that first level of mindfulness but that that section uh, I forget the name of the guy who does it, but the the one with like the mirrors and the pointing and stuff. Yeah, based on the Douglas Harding. Yeah, um, it's it's study, like yeah. the um, he, what he calls it the science of the first person. I think because mm. science is uh, the idea of science is that it's you, you're supposed to take out the subject and find things that are objective. Um, but this is like, well, we're gonna like for you. It, you can do your own science of your experience. And so like you're just doing all these yourself, experiments yeah. with your yeah. inner life. Um, I found that one probably most profound. Mm. I think he does um, like in a lot of the meditations, you know, so he's got a 50 day like introduction to it, I suppose, practice. And then after that, there's daily meditations that you could do yeah. between like 10 and 20 minutes. I think sometimes I'll find the, you know, that second level of um, mindfulness, like trying to like um, 
know, tra- transcend the ego and things. There are some days where I find that um, it's a bit too much. Like if I'm doing that daily, it can almost feel, I don't know whether it's too challenging. Like it's obviously a very useful reminder, but I think I'm still working up to the point where I can practice that on a daily basis. Sometimes I'm wanting, um, I guess, different types of meditations, which she does have on the app. You know, there's some around um, koans. I like the ones um, Contemplative Action by David White as well. Um, the ones around uh, like some of the poetry he's written, which is, yeah. I guess, along the subjects, a lot of what Sam talks about, but put in like this really beautiful poetry. This guy's got this like insane voice. Like his voice is so nice to listen to. And um, yeah, I like I like the variety on there. I guess what, what I'm saying is sometimes I find the um, that trying to extinguish the sense of self isn't something I I want to be doing like twice a day every day. Yeah. Um, I, I enjoy the other meditations, like you know sometimes the walking ones or the the 30 minute ones or the meta loving kindness ones. I guess it's it's nice to mix them up. I mean, what what, what do you think about meditation in terms of sticking with just one type do do you prefer to mix it up and do different ones daily do you find you get to a point after a few weeks where maybe you're a bit bored of one type or i don't yeah i don't know um i guess i mean the the sort of glimpsing your egolessness is is more new to me but over the few years i've always just basically been doing mindfulness and um Uh, no, I've never got bored of it. I, I guess like it's, but it's not like I'm doing the same thing every time. Like yeah, sometimes I'm not I might saying be like bored of the practice. Yeah, the type of the, as in if it's the same one you're listening to or something like that. Right. Well, I yeah, I, yeah. I probably don't. I probably say I I listen to a meditation maybe twenty five percent of the time, and the rest of it I'm just right sat yeah. on my own, like without guidance. Um, and you be yeah either be on the body or the breath or i quite like doing the visual field with my eyes closed Mm. um because there's always stuff going on there which you don't think to look at remember you telling me that about that years ago i was like oh what are you doing you're like you were lying in bed like we were hanging out you're like just meditating (laughs) you told me you're describing like looking at the back of your eyelids and there's like a whole like a whole space there to be to be seen yeah. Um, yeah. I, 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 I think I've, you don't remember that. Well, <laughs> I do. So it happened. <laughs> um, I guess it, this is the first time uh, I've tried a lot of different meditation apps, and a lot of them, I guess, were quite dualistic and um, a lot of like basic mindfulness things. And I think this is the first time I've really latched on to um, one particular person's meditations so like i'm I'm really enjoying these so far and in reading this book it's kind of deepened my understanding which will hopefully therefore deepen my practice i I just really enjoy the way he the way he frames things but also this new concept of like ego transcendence is something that yeah i'm seeing benefits from so i want to i'm going to stick with his meditations and try and get as much from this as possible because i think i'm in a real phase where i'm learning a lot from it yeah, I um, I used uh, John Kabat-Zinn's for a number of years, I, and I know you just talked about the re- repeating the same one, but he had this like forty-five minute body scan, which is basically the only meditation I did for 
about five years. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there were others on the internet, but you know, found one I liked, <laughs> stuck with yeah, it. Nice. Um, and then, and then, yeah. Since then, I've moved on. I my go-to now is the, is, is the Sam Harris app, and yeah, I mean. I know there must be loads of stuff online. I've heard loads of people talk about like headspace and things, but out of John Kabat-Zinn and Sam Harris, I've just, <laughs> and going to gr- groups like in, in person, I've never really gone outside of that. Hmm. Yeah. What's your experience of um, going to group guided meditations? Do you enjoy them? Is that something yeah, you, yeah. Well, obviously before COVID, would you be doing those regularly? Would you? No, uh, not regularly. I, I had a few that maybe they ran for six weeks or something like that. Um, mm. I think it helps. I think it's especially good f- for beginners because um, it, you know, it's so easy, especially when you start to be like to just sort of feel a bit irritated and be like, oh, I just want to get a coffee. <laughs> I like, like sod this. Whereas, like, especially if you wanted to do it for a longer amount of time. So if if you were to sit in a group for an hour, you, there's sort of the uh, yeah, the, there's a level of commitment you have which you might not have on your yeah. own, which I think is helpful. Um, and it's just nice to be in a room full of other people who are kind of on a similar, who have similar intentions to you as yeah, well. Yeah, and then you which sort of have a nice. post-meditation reflection oh, and hear about people's experiences. Everyone's drinking green tea. no that's um that's been my experience as well i've really um when it was open i'd try and go to meditations in the city probably sometimes they do these like four week courses so like four weeks on one subject they were based on um like buddhist teachings and um i'd go to those if there's one particular course i might go weekly but in general it would be fortnightly or to once a month um and I really enjoyed that. I think it was a good way to, um, well, a lot of this you're doing like in the privacy of your own home or in your bedroom or on the bus. I mean, you can meditate anywhere really, but it, it seems like quite a deeply private, personal thing. And I think there's something nice about sharing that with other people and I guess feeling part of a more mm. uh, conscious community. Um, and it's, but yeah, it's just kind of a nice, nice reset for me as well. I think it, it would always served as, if ever I was beginning to become maybe a little not so disciplined with my practice or rushing it or maybe not putting my um, as much, yeah, consciousness into it as possible, it was to be around other people, like, reinforce that commitment. And I'd always leave feeling pretty good and, you know, pressed a reset button for the next four weeks of my life and good to go again. Nice. So I remember the first time I did it, like, the first time I properly meditated was here in Melbourne. And that was in like 2012, I think, maybe 2013. And I was just like looking for stuff to do. I was just in one of those moods. I was just going to all these like random sports events, going to meditation classes, just trying new things. And I remember the first time I did it, leaving and feeling like I was walking on a cloud when I walked out. It was just like that That was probably the moment I decided like, yeah, I need to start meditating, not just yeah. because of like just that sensation, but because of – um. I suppose it just gave me a sense of relief that there's like another way of being and I don't have to attach to my thoughts so much and I can take a step back. I think I was just in a phase where I was really wrapped up and just there's quite a lot of like maybe pent up energy or a lot of thoughts racing around my head. And it it was really Mm. nice to, for the first time ever to take a step back and to realize like, ah, these, these thoughts aren't me. 
like I don't need to pay attention to absolutely all of these and yeah. also just get the relaxation side of it as well. Yeah, no, I can really relate to that. The Because on the one hand, he talks about how, you know, this is a practice. It's like, it's like playing the guitar. Like you, you wouldn't just expect to be able to, um, you know, strum out a song straight away. Uh, it takes time to build up a skill. But but on the other hand, those like first experiences, like if you've if you've been like lost in thought for eighteen years, to, to have like the first time you're like ah, oh, like I can just be concentrated on on the here and now. And like, yeah, that, that payoff from like that release mm. is, it's hard to retrieve that again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a very important glimpse, isn't it? I suppose yeah. choose what you do with it. Often when I, I've sent people, um, you know, meditations to try and a, a lot of people say like, ah, oh, my, my thoughts, I've got too many thoughts. My thoughts just seem to race too much. And I think there'd be the, perfect people to persist with and just be like no please try it because if you can have that same glimpse that i had um and it's it's nice to know it's something like you can continually work on um yeah i'd be interested um in just um wrapping this up just to know a bit about how you find that meditating in general has impacted you on a day-to-day basis what things are you noticing um that have helped you or have um brought you know good things to your life I suppose. yeah well but before that it was something you just said then about someone who says oh it's not for me i think all the time whatever i, I think a really important um realization is when you're first trying mindfulness if um you know let's say you're focusing on your breath or some sensation in your body and you know, you realize, oh, it's been like three minutes and I've just been off thinking about dinner or some conversation I had yesterday. That moment where you notice that that's happened, like that's, that's the practice. That's you, you know, the equivalent of playing guitar, that's you like practicing a scale. Like each time you notice Mm. you've been lost in thought and would come, come back, like that's a really good thing. Mm. And it's so common for people to, in that moment, sort of, be frustrated or annoyed at themselves that they've been lost yeah. in thought for a few minutes. And, um, and that's another thought. And then that, you build yeah. on that again. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I really want to like put out there cause I, you know, to learn this myself is like that that's the moment to be celebrated. <laughs> like if you like, yeah. Oh crap, I was in a half an hour meditation for the last 25 minutes. I've been off in thought then like celebrate the fact that you've now just noticed that that's happened. Cause that's, that's, mm. that's the exercise. Um, that's the bicep curl of the mind. That's the, that's what you're trying to do. So don't, don't be frustrated at yourself when you realize you've been lost in thought because that realization is the practice. And, and for you, um, I guess to build on that um, second question I asked, like for you, is that something that you feel you're able to identify with um, quicker now? There's like the periods of you being lost in thought have shortened. Has that been your experience? Yeah, for the most part, yeah, yeah. I would say over, like, as a general, it. I think it depends on if there's like loads going on. I can still have a day where it's like I put, I put on a meditation. It's like, oh crap, I just thought through most of that. But like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like on the whole, if it's those gaps shortened and and even if thoughts arise, I'm not lost in them as much. Like I can see them 
without being identified with them more more often not all the time obviously yeah. um yeah. maybe not even most of the time but like the experience of um being connected to something say your breath in the present and then a thought coming in without being lost in it but just it's like it, it, mm. that's a cool experience as well because it's for most of my life before then i imagine for most people most of the time thoughts are sort of equated with being lost in them mm. like like a daydream um so to notice a thought as it enters but being aware of it as it's happening is is a uh, also a one of those scales or chords we learn as we're practicing have you found it's helped you in um moments of difficulty i think it's um it's very helpful in difficult conversations mm. that's the first thing that comes to mind just being able to like pause and take a breath and notice how you're feeling and reconnect with what your intention of the conversation is and notice your interpretation of the other what the other person said like and notice it as an interpretation which might be different to what they actually meant um, yeah yeah that's all very helpful um and what about in moments of um uh i suppose d decision making for you you know if you've got to make a choice on that yeah one, one thing or another does it help in that moment yeah i guess there are different types of decisions that there's sort of those ones that are more immediate and um what comes to mind for that is say if i'm working with clients there's always there's always like a hundred and one things you could say or do in any given moment uh, in response to something uh, someone says. So yeah, that I think that that being able to pause and um, notice what my urge is. Mm -hmm. And without automatically following through of it, perhaps just like passing it through a filter of like, like, is this what I actually want to say? Or, or are you just trying to like fill a gap or, or like feel more comfortable or something? Um, mm. So those are more like immediate decisions, but then I, I guess there are sort of decisions in terms of planning for the future, which are not so like real time. Mm. Um, it, it sounds like it's it's had a really big impact on your life overall yeah, like yeah, this yeah. practice I, I would definitely agree i think it's um like it's an invaluable skill to learn and it's a, a way of being that um i suppose allows you to um nip a lot of things in the bud i suppose just in regular language you know just kind of yeah. see see things a lot quicker not get so wrapped up in your thoughts and um I guess make clearer decisions and uh I guess when it comes to feeling feelings of um you know worry or anxiety or stress um for for me I'm able to recognize those a whole lot quicker before I start acting in ways that probably aren't um what what I'd hope you know I kind of even even today at work things were like amping up a lot and getting very busy and very mm. 
very intense. And I literally was just able, I kind of just took like a deep breath and just kind of like stepped back from everything mentally and just kind of watched it all going around in my head. I'm like, okay, I'm starting to amp up here. I'm starting to feel a bit stressed. Like just like being able to just step back and then re-enter back into work. It just really changed the outcome of my afternoon. To be yeah. honest, like I could, yeah, I could yeah. have gone one, could have gone one of a multitude of ways, but in yeah. doing that, I was kind of was able to, again, similar to um, a lot of stuff in acceptance and commitment therapy, it, it allowed me to step back and choose more valued action to, um, yeah, carry on with, um, yeah. yeah, real, real amazing insights. Yeah, past and the future, just an illusion. Present is all we have. Oh, if, you, if, you, if, you, uh, if you're always thinking, the only thing you have left to think about are thoughts. That's my oh, takeaway. <laughs> oh, I'm going to have to think about that. I'll listen. <laughs> Don't think about it. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> you're lost in your ego again. <laughs> oh, God. Not again. Oh, cool. So, um, yeah. Thanks for... Thanks for today. I've always, always enjoy these. Um, <laughs> we're uh, we're going on to our our next book um, soon, which is uh, called Flow. Oh, you bought it? I bought it. Yeah, yeah. It's quick. By, yeah. I oh, go on, mate. Pronounce the name. I, I challenge you. <laughs> Absolutely. So his name is Milai Tischek Temilhal Yi. <laughs> Mihale, um, yeah, I'm really sorry, but I thought I, yeah. Show me it again. I, I did. I did look it up a while ago. John, I can't see it. Yeah. Oh right, it's in the O. Nah, I'm not even going to try it. Yeah, <laughs> I'll, yeah, I'll say it next time. <laughs> yeah, I think we'll 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 owe him the respect of learning how to pronounce it, and we'll yeah. say it next time. I think that's that's the right thing to do. That is um, the right thing to do. Yeah, yeah. It's not all that funny. <laughs> um, all right, cool. So um, this is the book we'll be doing next time. We think it, um, I'm not going to say it, goes really well with the other two books, um, Flow and talking about, um, yeah, the psychology of optimal experience. There we go. So that'll be us in the next couple of weeks, I imagine. So good ones. See you then. See you, mate. Nice one. Stay present. Will do. <laughs>